Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Yes, we are. We're here again at the most exciting time of the year. Um, we're just about to kick off with the World Championships. It's just, can I say hours away? It's probably a day and a bit away, but I'm going to say hours. Um, we've had the qualifiers. It's been amazing and excitement. I don't know. I can't always do excited with my boring northern voice, but excitement is through the roof. You've got a lovely voice, Phil. Now, they, they said to me on, on, on Radio Sheffield this morning, early plug for some of my media work hit there, uh, yeah, this must be like Christmas for snooker fans. I said, it's miles better than that. I mean, Christmas is OK, of course. You sit around with your friends and family. I said, have a bit of quality street, maybe roses, watch a few old movies like Casablanca. But this is 17 days and nights at the Crucible. I mean, it's just, it's Christmas, it's Easter, it's Michaelmas, it's everything. It's, 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 it's Shrove Tuesday, isn't it, Phil? Put them all together and they probably still don't match the Crucible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like I've said the Crucible's on the horizon about 15,000 times on this podcast. And now it's not on the horizon anymore. It's right bang in front of us. So, yeah, we've been looking forward to it for a long time. We really have. And, uh, you know, to be serious, of course, this is a magical time. We just can't wait. Snooker will take over our lives, those of us that are besotted by this game for the next few weeks. The marathon of the mind underway on Saturday morning. And we are delighted to say, that we have a guest presenter with us today. And it's a welcome return to Talking Snooker for one of the very best snooker journalists in the business. A compelling writer and talker, his work for Sporting Life is always a must-read or watch. And we know he's going to be a brilliant companion for this episode as we look ahead to Snooker's greatest show. We are very happy to say that Richard Mann is on the podcast Good day, Richard. How are you? Hello. What an intro. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm almost blushing at that. But no, it's, it's great to be here. I echo those sentiments. Um, I feel as well this season, we've obviously lost the Chinese events and, and the snooker's been rocked a little bit, hasn't it, with match fixing and 
Raleigh O'Sullivan at war with World Snooker. It feels like we need a good sort of two and a half weeks of snooker, probably more than any other year, actually. And we're looking at the draw now. I definitely think we'll get it. So, it's, no, it's really exciting. <laughs> well, the, f- the first thing, match fixing is unusual, but I think Raleigh O'Sullivan at war with World Snooker. I mean, you, we could be saying that every year for about the last 20, in fairness. <laughs> we, we could indeed, and I, I half wonder as well if it's just a, a little bit of a tactic for him to to sort of spur him on before the tournament starts. He loves to fire something up, doesn't he? Me against the world almost, and I, I kind of wonder if we, obviously he wasn't playing in the Tour Championship anyway, so he's been quiet for a while now. If it was just a little bit of extra motivation he needed to give himself to to lay down a bold bid for for that what would be that eighth world title. I don't mind that suggestion. Actually, I've not really heard that before, but you do wonder when Ronnie speaks out because he often just sort of flat bats it nowadays. But if there is some motivation behind it, it makes sense to me. Very much so. And uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan and his progress is just one of the many fascinating aspects of the World Championship to come. We should say, shouldn't we, Phil, that this episode of Talking Snooker is brought to you by Sporting Life, one of the UK's leading sports betting and content websites. We're so pleased to be partnering with The Life for the final time this season, a website I've worked with in recent years and whose snooker coverage is fantastic. You can visit sportinglife.com forward slash snooker for Richard Mann's outright betting preview for the World Championship and his daily tips, plus player interviews, all the latest results and match reports. Regular columnist Neil Folds has given us his verdict on this year's 16 seeds. And there's also a video preview with Leeds professional Peter Lines, which is a must watch. And I'm delighted to point you towards my own exclusive interview with twice World Championship runner-up Ali Carter, which is on Sporting Life now. Racing fans will surely know all about Sporting Life already, but if not, you'll find form, results, tips and analysis, including some premium time form content offered up for free. There's also some of the best golf betting advice in the business, football darts, cricket, boxing, and so much more. Check out the show notes for more information and do be sure to pay our friends at sportinglife.com a visit after the episode. I mean, you're a bit like us, aren't you, Richard? You're besotted with all sports. I know you love your racing, you love your cricket and many other sort of sports as well, but you really are so into snooker. So I know that you're not the only one. We talked about Chris Hammer. We'll hopefully see him at media day and during the tournament. He's another massive snooker fan in your office. Ben Cody is a snooker man as well. It must be so exciting then now with the Crucible coming up. Yeah, this this time of year gets you. I think I was trying to explain to my boss a few days ago what, what a magical time of year this is. And, and for a non-snooker fan, he probably, probably didn't get it. Uh, but no, really exciting. And, and as I said earlier, I think just this this season especially, it feels like there's a little bit more on it. I feel like we've been starved a little bit of snooker. We've always had some really good invitational tournaments, the Masters, the Tour Championship and the players, but if you're not in the 16 or the 32 for the players, it's really been done and dusted, but the qualifiers have been great. We've been able to see these, these really good players that are a little bit lower down the rankings. I know Phil's been um, dying to talk about his highlights from that. And then even now, the qualifiers have got through. Fantastic players. I'm a massive Anthony McGill fan, and we haven't seen him for weeks and months, really. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing those guys compete, and we know they can compete with the big boys. Um, and then even the O'Sullivans and the John Higgins, we didn't see them at the Tour Championship either. So 
Um, for me, there's even more on it this year. I'm, I'm really excited, probably more than I have been for the last few years. Yeah, you're right about the qualifiers. It's, it has really become sort of a tournament in itself. Like I would happily sit and watch that um, if that was a week's action with no no end point, really. Um, but yeah, it was from start to finish, uh, it was superb. Really kicking off with Stephen Hendry help, helping us with the story early on. I think him, his sort of slight odd comeback has spiced up those early rounds. Uh, that century early on was, was crazy. I'm just going to pick through a few highlights, the early doors. Um, but obviously chime in with any of your own. Liam Davies, uh, another second year on the spin beating Fergals, cementing his spot as uh, one, of the high, uh, one of the highest rated youngsters in the game. Michael Holt back against Onyi. She really pushed him really hard, 10-8 to Holt. Uh, Mink again pushed uh, Poomjang, who was always <laughs> fascinating to watch, Poomjang 10-7. And then a couple of good wins for, for other, another couple of youngsters. Florian Nuzler from Austria beating Michael Judge 10-2. I thought it was very, very impressive. And Yulin Boyko, 10-2 against Mohamed Asif. Um, so they're just a few of the, the first round I've, I've picked out. If there's any, anything else anyone saw? Well, just as an Northern boy, really, and, and David Grace leads best. Um, great to see him. He needed to win his first match just to keep his toe card, and he did that. And he's gone on to qualify for the Crucible, which is great. I'm really looking forward to seeing him against John Higgins. But I... I you're right, Phil, it's a tournament in its own self, and, but I think there's even more pressure on the qualifiers because for, for lots of the players that turn up for that first match and they're literally playing for their careers with, without a win, they don't know what they're doing for the next few years unless they're lucky enough to get back through Q school. So much pressure. I just It must be awful for them, really, and um, for some of them to come out and perform like they have done, Grace being one of them, to, to then pick up his form. Really good to see, and it's just a reminder of the strength on the two and, and how competitive it is. Yeah, I spoke to David after he got through last night, I think it was, and uh, yeah, he said uh, he said in the chat with Jamie from the BBC, Jamie Broughton, so I was actually remarkably calm all the way through. And then when I asked him, I said, you were 3-0 down in your first round when your tour card was online. Were you calm then? He was like, actually not then. So <laughs> there are certainly little, little wobbles, but no, he did great. Um, I think he won six frames on the row after uh, on the spin after that to go 6-3. So, uh, yeah, no, he's come through brilliantly. Um, but, yeah, as you say, careers on the line, um, not just crucible spots. Crucible spots are sort of minor for some people. They're playing for the... Livelihoods, aren't they? But um, yeah, a few other, few other notable results early on. I enjoyed Ollie Lyons ten, Michael Holt nine. That was very, very dramatic at the end there. The Belgian derby, Nick. We mentioned that last episode. We were looking forward to that. Mertens beat Leclerc ten six. That was very entertaining. Uh, Aaron Hill is a player that you've you've ticked before for big things. Beat Michael White ten three, which I thought was superb result for him really. Um, and Boyko again with another good result ten five against Carrington which took us into round three, which really got... That's where the, sort of the bigger boys of qualifying came in and uh, it really got tense there. It's a long night. I know you were saying you enjoyed the Monday night where it got very late and very edgy, Nick. I did. I did. I I, I was very much consumed by the Masters for, for part of that qualifying, almost the sort of middle part, certainly when the Masters got underway. So I absolutely made a point that I watched Monday and I, I couldn't have timed it better, you know, because... It was the essence of it. I almost preferred it to Judgment Day, actually. I thought Judgment Day was, was, was excellent. And maybe one of the best for three or four, actually, in terms of pure drama. But, yeah, I mean, I've got, the couple before midnight were Ryan Day, 10, Ashley Hugill, 8. 
and David Grace, 10, Sam Craigie, 8. I mean, that would have been good. But then just after midnight, we have Elliot Slesser, 10, Liam Highfield, 9. Anthony Hamilton, 10, Oliver Lyons, 9. And Scott Donaldson, 10, 1, Sidgen, 7. I feel a bit mean, actually, because we know that Scott Donaldson, in the end, unfortunately, had to pull out of his Judgment Day match being unwell. I was, I was on a bit of teasing form that night. But honestly, Phil, the, you know, the scoring system has a habit of breaking down from time to time. <laughs> I thought he had done it again, but it just it wasn't that. This weren't putting anything. I kept refreshing it. Oh no, come on! You know, I, I joked about you know, I was about to compose a, a letter to Barry Took at points of view, another one for the teenagers there. Um, but instead, you know, they 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 eventually tick over. I thought, oh no, it's not the system. It's just they're not scoring. And it and it finished it finished ten seven at about twenty past midnight. I mean, it would have been about two in the morning had it been ten nine. I'm sure of it. It, it was a real old, uh, you know. Great tension. There was actually some good scoring in some of the matches, and more than perhaps I would have predicted. But that was the essence of it that night, in terms of sort of some really scrappy stuff, but great drama. Just to go back as well to, to David Grace, I was really interested by that video that I, I encourage everyone to watch with yourself and and Peter Lines, Richard, and he was sort of saying that he felt a weight had been lifted, hadn't hadn't it, off off David, and he could play in a much more relaxed fashion after that. And I think that's a, something, you, you know, you would see. I mean, you said then, Phil, you know, what was it like in the first match? You know, I was really struggling. But the, the shackles have kind of been thrown off then, haven't they, sometimes? And when you can sort of relax and your arms are a bit free, you can play sort of your your better snooker, if you like. I mean, we'll, we'll come into a, diff, a different situation. It reminds me a bit of what we'll come on to with, with um, Joe Perry. And someone else made this point on, on, on Twitter when you were a reprieved man and, it would have been a bit like that for David, a bit reprieved. And when, when you've done that and you've got that off your back type thing, then you can play your better snooker. And he, well, we've seen that. He's heading to the Crucible. But yeah, I love Monday, Phil. And that, if ever we had a precursor of a Judgment Day, that was it. And I know you were there, weren't you, for, for, for Judgment Day. And was it just as tense as ever? Take us through it. It was, yeah. But you're right. That Monday night was uh, it was sort of as tense almost. Um, I think the seeded players sort of... Uh, you could tell that they, the guys coming through had played another match and caught them a bit because, um, you know, you wouldn't have expected John Astley to push Anthony McGill as far as he did, 9-7 up. Um, McGill reeled off those last three frames very impressively to keep his dreams alive. But, yeah, Cruiser, uh, the Judgment Days, judgment days um, were very good. Uh, there weren't, I suppose, uh, there it wasn't too many deciders. Was there just a two or three deciders? Or there was Nopon on the first night. We potted that great black to beat Zhang Ander. And then, of course, uh, Joe Perry beating Mark Davis in the most heartbreaking of circumstances. I mean, what a story that was um, to complete the second judgment day. Um, they've been, uh, Perry said they've been mates since they were kids, literally. Um, chat all the time. Davis playing to keep his tour card, which he's had for 32 years, which is... Uh, tied with the, the longest amount with uh, Mark King and Anthony Hamilton. Um, he's not been off once since then. And to go off in that circumstance, I'm sure people have seen it, but um, David produced a great break and he just needed the final pink, which um, was awkward. It wasn't uh, it wasn't a gimme by any means, but he would have fancied it. Missed it, nearly fluked it, left it over the hole for Perry to part. And then... Perry had a very tricky black to knock his pal off tour, which he sunk. Um, and Perry was, you know, in mixed emotions, doesn't really sum it up afterwards. Uh, delighted to get back to the Crucible, but gutted. He felt, he said he felt sick. So um, 
Richard, I've not seen much like that before. Barry said he's never experienced anything like that before in 30 years on tour. Yeah, watching it, there was almost a resignation from Perry as he came to the table almost. I, 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 I don't know if I can say this, but it's almost like I've got to put my dog down now. It, it <laughs> felt a little bit like that. He, he kind of felt, well, I probably should pop these two, and, and he almost didn't want to. I think, again, it's easy for us to sit here as, as, as non-professional sportsmen, but they're not just sportsmen are there a lot of these are friends they, they go on tour together Peter Lyons was saying today they're virtually inseparable Perry um, and Mark Davis and, and he said that will have been a bitter blow for Perry to, to have to knock his friend off tour like that um, yeah just a, another another great story for us and the, the whole thing hasn't really begun yet has it no that's the thing and uh, there were some shocks I suppose on, on Judgment Day Barry Hawkins must be the biggest of them uh, Jack Jones has been sort of a a coming man for a bit, but I didn't see his odds before that game, but he would have been distant second favourite. Um, and then Barry, showing halfway through, when he walloped the table, gave it a good old punch. I've never seen that from Hawkins before. Nick, have you seen that from him? I haven't. It was you that alerted me to it on, on Twitter. I thought that was really out of character. And actually, I've been a bit guilty because our good friend Gary Moss... When Barry had a win the, the round before, he was like, don't, yeah, don't worry about Barry. And I was saying... Nothing's ever worried me less. I'm not, yeah. uh, the most peaceful. I sleep like a baby when I think about Barry Hawkins. Don't worry about that. The next thing is, <laughs> beaten. I was really surprised. I mean, hell of a good win that for, for Jack Jones. It has to be said. I mean, Barry must... I didn't see an awful lot of it. He, he, he obviously played badly. You know, he, he, he to get as riled up as he does, he's not one to do that really very often, is he? Uh, if at all. Um, but he just wasn't at the races. And I mean... I've just been thinking that today, actually, that among the sort of things we'll have to get used to, I think quite a big one is Barry not being there, actually. Because if we're talking, what, the last sort of 13, 14, 15 years, he's been such a fixture, isn't he, there? And not just there, but latter stages. I mean, I haven't counted out how many times in one table, but it's a lot. Not just that final in 13, it's plenty of semis. He lost that absolute thriller to Mark Williams that comes to mind. That semi he probably should have won, really. So... Yeah, to not have him there, I mean, it's going to be I mean, the, the most <laughs> person that will suffer the most is him. But for the rest of us, you know, it'll be unusual, won't it? I think him and Maguire, yeah. I think um, Barry, last time he wasn't there, was 2005, which is a long old time ago. And I think I'm right in saying Maguire was going for his 20th straight visit to the Crucible oh, wow. and missed out, which is quite something. I mean, on on current form, on this form of this season, it wasn't that surprising because he's been, he's been poor, but... He got to Judgment Day and he was 4-0 up on fans. So at that point, he looked like he was coming good when it mattered, but lost 10-6. And, uh, yeah, it's been a shocking season for Maguire, really, really disappointing. And I know they've not been as regular, but former world champion Graham Dot, he didn't get through. Matthew Stevens, former dual runner-up, he didn't get through. And we, we often talk, don't we, about no, no new blood coming through into the game. But, you know, we've got... Four brilliant older players there, and, and they've not made it, and they've been knocked out by younger men. Um, so perhaps we are finally seeing a changing of the guard. Yeah, yeah I think it's five debutants, which is always good to see. Um, Pang Junju, uh, Si Jiehui, Fang Junji, Jack Jones, and Wu Yizhe have got them all there. Yes. Uh, so four Chinese young Chinese players and Jack Jones. Um, so encouraging because we know the match fixing problem, 10 Chinese players. It's been a belt blow for Chinese snooker, and we do want to get back there. We do want those big markets to open up again. So that is an encouraging sign that 
those four, and they all look great, really. We saw Fan, obviously, win the European Masters, um, shock the world. But um, Wu, Si and Pang have all shown some real good quality. So, uh, yeah, that's encouraging stuff. And I like it when there's that them many debutants. It, it feels like we've been a bit short on that in, in, in the last few years. It hasn't been an awful lot of variety, actually. And I think you need those first-timers. There's such a, a lovely narrative about them all, really. You know, just the first time being in that arena, it, it's just so different to anything else. And you, you can sort of tell lovely stories we can in the press. You can see lovely features on television. I think it really works, that. And to keep the sort of debutants spread across the first round is you know, rather than one or two, I think, like we've been having recently, is, is more like it. Um, maybe I'll just fill us in a bit more on the results, but if that's OK, from, from the judgment day. We've got Tuesday here, Anthony McGill beating Kyrie Peng 10-6. And as you say, Stephen Maguire going down 10-6 to Fan Zhengji. A debutant there, uh, Fan, as you said, one, one of five. Yeah, Graham Dot losing 10-6 to Matthew Sell. I could be reaching too much here, but I did see Graham talk about how horrible the whole thing was and oh, he's going to be, you know, sort of hideous. You know, I thought, well, I know a lot of players think that, but I don't know if it's quite the right thing to say. Maybe he got himself in a bad mindset. To be fair, he got turned over by a good player, Phil. Sorry. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if this actually came out, but Selt mentioned it in his in his post-match interview that Dot was quite clearly struggling with a shoulder problem and Graham had told him he'd been in hospital the night before. So oh. uh, um, I don't know how serious it was. It sounds quite serious, but that might have played into that result. Even though Celt beating Dot wouldn't have been a massive surprise, but that doesn't sound like it helped. No, that's a clearly a big factor there. Um, Wu is uh, beating Chris Wakelin in 10 8, another debutant there. And C. Dry He seeing off Jordan Brown. That's a good win, 10 7. Uh, Ricky Walden, Tep on New. That went all the way. Walden winning at 10 9. And then Jack Jones getting the better of Barry Hawkins, 10 8. And knock on Sankam. 10, Zhang and 9. Well, the thing about the deciders was a couple of went all the way to Black Bulls, which made it so, well, thrilling, really. And, and then obviously on to Wednesday, Ryan Day beating Scott Donaldson 4-0. Uh, he was beating him 4-0 when Donaldson pulled out unwell, unfortunately. So that went to, to Ryan Day, that match. Day through to the Crucible. Jimmy Robertson, I mean, that was a, a thumping, wasn't it? Phil, 10-2 against Anthony Hamilton. I mean, I, I thought you said there was an early snooker situation turn around. And I mean, that that can actually make a... It's a big thing sometimes in a match early, and they, even that could have turned it. But, I mean, Anthony got a right old thump in there, didn't he, really? Yeah, it's, that looked like it should be a close one. And Anthony sort of manages to drag things out usually quite well. Um, but, yeah, it was, um, it was to go 3-1 up. So Hamilton looked like he was going to go in the first mid-session at 2-2. Uh, Robertson needed a snooker with just blue, pink and black left. And he got it with a really, really good shot. Um, then pot a tricky blue, very good pink um, and the black to, yeah, to go 3-1 ahead. And Hamilton never seemed to recover, which is very unlike sort of man of his experience. Um, but yeah, really fabulous win for, for Jimmy to win so comprehensively uh, against the Sheriff. And I was mentioning C. Jack Wee while, while you mentioned him there. Three superb wins for him in qualifying against Nuzla, um, Brown on Judgment Day, and there was an amazing match against Tom Ford the previous round, where um, it was five all. Um, C pinched a close one to go six five, and then Ford didn't score a point for the last four frames. C just made four big breaks to win ten five, and against a player talent like Tom Ford, I thought that was very impressive. Mightily so. Um, um, what, what comes to my mind, Richard? 
linked to that, which I, it's probably good to say at some stage, it was good to see them all extended again, the matches, wasn't it? We could see proper narratives develop that we weren't really getting with the, the first to sixes so much. But, you know, I do remember Graham Dot saying one year at the UK that first to six is a proper match, and, and it is to a large extent, but not compared to first to ten, where you see all kinds of things turn around and we're, we've got 17 days of it, thank goodness, and long, long matches to come. But that was, I think that was a factor this year and a welcome one for most fans. Yeah, um, a welcome one for the players as well. It was the players who pushed for that to go back to best of 19. They really wanted that test. Um, and we've seen, as Phil was saying, we've seen so many games that started one way and went the other. And that's the beauty of the longer form matches. I mean, the best of sevens, if you get a bad start, you, you're pretty much done, aren't you? But, but this is a world championship. It's supposed to be a proper test and having the best of 19s back, I, I definitely think it's a plus. And I, I, know, I know the players were, were really keen and they were active in, in, in showing that it did go back to best of 19. I've never heard a player say anything but, and it suits my game. Like Every single player says that as if they've got a specific game that suits a long match. But... Yeah, if they all think it, that's fine, as long as it's positive. <laughs> well, Anthony McGill's really allowed to say it. I mean, he, he, I think, you know, <laughs> those crucible guys, that they really are. I know what you say. They, they, yeah, I mean, which player doesn't want the, the sort of the longer test? You know, it, it should, if you're playing better that day or if you've got better form or if you're a better player overall, it should show, shouldn't it, in those longer matches more than it would in the in the shorter ones. David Grace beating Andrew Higgis in 10-5 to clear up the rest of these in. Jose Mafai, 10, Jackson Page, 6. Pang Jong-Soo, 10, Zhu C, 5. Elliot Slesser beating Zhao Yulong, 10, 5. David Gilbert, 10, Matthew Stevens, 7. You mentioned uh, there, Richard Stevens, of course, what a formidable you know, record he's got in his career. What a shame we didn't win it in many ways, but he went down to that defeat. And then Joe Perry, 10, Mark Davis, 9. Yeah, that, oh my God, that was just, yeah, we talked about it earlier, but what theatre. Even the the Perry moment where he sunk that black and just sort of almost shoulders, you know, collapsed a little bit. And, you know, I think that, again, I could be reaching too much here, but I thought that black's a little bit underrated. I, I saw a couple of people sort of said, oh, it's a reprieve thing, which I do get. You do have a sort of funny relaxing. I mean, I'm not a professional super player, but I am told um, that you, you do get that reprieve element. Sometimes that can take the pressure off a bit, but nevertheless, Bill, it was a it was a bit of a monster, wasn't it? It it, 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 it was quite a, you know the black going to the yellow pocket. You had to play you had to play it quite softly. We didn't have to, but that was the kind of well, well it wasn't full pace type thing. I thought it was a cracker. Yeah, I actually said that to him because he was he was not quite in bits, but he was obviously very emotional when he after the game yesterday, and I said it was an unbelievable black considering the situation, and he said we he said snooker players are weird. The harder the shot in that situation, the better because you feel less pressure. Because if he said if that was sort of over the pocket, he just thought if I miss this, I'm going to get slaughtered. So the fact that it was tricky, he found it, it, it took the pressure off. Um, maybe that was easy to say afterwards. Uh, I don't know, but it, yeah, it was a, certainly a superb pot. Uh, anything but a gimme, uh, especially when he said he'd just been feeling sick about playing it. So uh, yeah, what a mad situation that was. Definitely, and well, just to sort of fill us in, sort of a bit, a bit more generally, Phil. I imagine it was the same sort of tension as ever. Just players utterly relieved. Some of the losers, obviously, you know, an element of devastation there, obviously. It, it, there's nothing quite like it, is there? Yeah, no, we only get the winners in the press box. So we don't, we don't, uh, 
we don't have to speak to them. Well, I said have to. Sometimes it'd be nice to speak to the losers, but I don't think they'd like to speak to us. So we only speak to the winners. But yeah, relief is right. Some uh, absolute joy, you know. Um, but yeah, a lot of people are just relieved to get through it. They look uh, shattered, <laughs> some players, uh, and the tournament's only just starting uh, on the main stages. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it's an amazing atmosphere, and the crowds are really really good. Uh, especially the last two days, it was pretty full. Um, and through the week as well for certain games, Jimmy White, Stephen Hendry, it was uh, it was very well attended. And another good point Joe made, Joe Perry made, um, was that qualifiers can be a proper event. And he said all the players seemed to enjoy it. Good crowds. Um, the tables were largely good. I didn't hear too many complaints. Um, and he was sort of encouraging World Snooker to put a bit more effort like they do for this into normal qualifiers because they can be enjoyable for players and fans can go and it can be good. Whereas I think a lot of players are sort of sick about the the state of the qualifiers this season when they're just sort of, you know, behind closed doors, three weeks before a tournament, the lowest key possible. So that was a plea from the gentleman at the end there, which I can get behind if it's possible. There's a lot of wisdom there. And you know, I was saying on the radio this morning, and I think ticket prices will generally, I mean, it's been a simmering issue for quite a long time. I think it might well be, quite a big story this year, especially with the new sort of corporate areas. And it's, listen, it's a nuanced issue. We could talk for a long time about ticket prices. What I was saying is that some people are priced out of the crucible now. That's an absolute fact. They tell us that. I meet people that say that. And not just for that reason. They, people also love the, the sheer drama that qualifies. But for pure financial reasons, people will like going to this because it's such great value. It, I think it's a tenner for a day. And, and that is... Yeah. Excellent, isn't it? You know, and you know, frankly, Richard, I know this is a you know a, a quite a broad topic, but you know, for for what is essentially still a working class sport, that's what I would consider it to be anyway. Yeah, a tenner is a bit more like it, isn't it? And you can see why people enjoy these qualifiers. I saw some very good crowds there on Judgment Day. People gripped by the drama, and uh, it's just bloody good value. Yeah, absolutely. Better value for money. Uh, and I think at a time, and snooker is not the only sport that, that's been struggling with with getting people through the doors, racing, cricket, football, they've, they've all had issues over the last year. And and generally what what we tend to hear is, oh, well, it's since the pandemic, it's since the pandemic. But actually people people are getting priced out of going to sporting events in, in what are pretty tough times for, for a lot of people. Um so no, I don't blame people for going to the qualifiers for a tenner, opposed to trying to fight your way to the crucible for a lot more. And it was a, li- I think at York as well. Even, even the the uh, UK Championship just gone. I noticed that the prices had gone up from the previous year. Um, when I was booking some for some friends, not significantly, but just a a bigger increase than I expected. Actually, um, I do think Wilson could probably need to keep an eye on that. Um, I don't think it's fair and. They don't want to lose people who have been coming for years and suddenly decide actually that's too expensive because then it's hard to get these people back. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think we saw at the Tour Championship recently that they seemed to get that completely wrong. And there were other there were other problems, weren't there? I think people talk about marketing and stuff, but um, I imagine those those sort of swathes of empty seats in Hull were largely down to prices and wouldn't wouldn't have been there if they had been. At least cheap and sort of, I always think the afternoon sessions, you know, they've got to be good value because people um, aren't free. They've got to make themselves free to go and do that. So, um, yeah, hopefully that's looked at and hopefully they see, yeah, the, the success of the qualifiers. Um, you know, it's not massive crowds. It's not a massive 
arena, but they can fill it up nice and it looks really good. Um, yeah, so uh, hopefully that's looked at next season. Indeed. And what we should say, of course, is a bit of an, uh, an ugly phrase, market forces in so many ways, but I'm sure Walt Snooker Tour would say, and those behind the organising of the sport would say, actually, nearly all the sessions are sold out for the Crucible. So, you know, you pay your money, you take your choice. And there are some people that can afford the tickets. Some, some people do scrimp and save. And I think there is the element now, and I've heard this from people that work there, which is a, a nice thing in many ways that people now, a lot of them are one session people. They come for that one special session because it is such a golden ticket now. And I do like that element, actually. And you can see it in faces of people. I do like that. So, listen, in my view, it was undersold for quite a long time, actually. Even maybe 10, 15 years ago, you could go for so cheap to the World Championship. It probably should have been a bit more. And the, the issue is it's it's been a very steep rise quickly. It's not been a gradual rise. Like I think you see with probably most sporting events, it's suddenly shot up madly. And I think that's probably, you know, one of the factors. But we should move on, shouldn't we? Because we've got 17 days to come. Uh, and uh, how are we going to fit some sleep in, Phil and Richard? A little bit here and there? Who knows? We'll try to. But bright and early, Saturday morning, for Ronnie O'Sullivan against Pang Jung Su. Uh, well, my view on this is, it's a funny one because it there were there are harder games that Ronnie could have had, but it's sort of a middling one. Well, I think it's potentially quite tricky, actually. I mean, we talked, haven't we, Phil, in, in recent weeks about Pang's calendar year so far of German Masters quarter, Welsh Open semi, final of the Classic. And Ronnie hasn't really, you know, shone much at all this season. Certainly since the turn of the year, he did win two, shouldn't forget, two prestigious invitational events, um, Champion of Champions and, uh, you know, the event in Hong Kong in the autumn. That's brilliant. But, you know, he hasn't shone too much. But my view is the tournament's a different beast to anything else. It's Ronnie O'Sullivan, you know, playing someone that's not been there before on the first day. It, it, it could go close, actually. It could go close, but I think it's. I'd be. I'd find it hard to back against Ronnie in this match, Phil. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Um, a debutant, any debutant, um, has got a lot to deal with going to the Crucible at all. Never mind opening morning against Ronnie O'Sullivan. It's as hard as it gets. But what I would say about Pang, we've mentioned him a lot on here. Uh, I'm so impressed with him. Unbelievable hard worker, and it's been paying off. The it's so hard just to stay on tour when you get on first time. And he's not only stayed on, he's he's about, he's in the 30s, I think, in the world now. He's really risen up very quickly um, since coming on in three years ago. Um, and he looks brilliant. So what I would, what, I suppose what we don't know about this is, um, we don't know what Pang's ceiling is. You know, in 10 years' time, we might be talking about multiple title win winner. Uh, we just don't know. So there's draws that look harder now but maybe they're not harder because we just don't know how good Pang is. Um, but I think we can confidently say he's not as good as Ronnie O'Sullivan. So, uh, yeah, it, it would be a big punt if you were backing Pang. But, um, yeah, I expect him to make a good account of himself for sure. As I say, unbelievably hard worker. I've probably mentioned him here a few times. Um, I spoke to Ding once about him, and he said he's the hardest worker in that academy. And that is saying something because there's a lot of hard work goes on there. Um, 
they've only played once before and Pang won it. It was the Championship League. Um, but that, you know, if that takes a little bit of the uh, aura off the rocket for him, then that might be a plus as well. So, yeah, it would be very brave to back Pang. But I think he'll uh, he'll put in a good, uh, put on a good show. What's your view, Richard? Is this going to go closer than maybe people that, 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 that are more kind of the lay person and, and are tuning in to see the great Ronnie? Is it going to go closer than they might think? Yeah, I definitely think it'll be competitive. He looks a really good operator, doesn't he, Pang? And I think I think the, the two things I'd look at with Ronnie, I wouldn't be worried about his attitude or his determination here. I think this I think for me now, this this tournament has suddenly become the centerpiece of his season. He called it an ordeal, I think, about four or five years ago, the crucible. He said it's an ordeal. Um, but once he got a sniff of Hendry seven, he, he won the one in lockdown, didn't he? And then he got a sniff of seven last year. I think things have changed. And I think his game actually is now more based on percentage play as well. The older he's got, he's just a lot more consistent. Um, so I think we'll see a revved up O'Sullivan, a fresher Sullivan. I'm sure he'll have practiced hard for this. But the negative coming up against someone like Pang, who's, who's come through qualifying, had a really good season. Ronnie's played no real competitive snooker, not really since Christmas. Um, and I would just worry that he could get caught cold. I know it's Ronnie O'Sullivan and we, we t- kind of think he can just do what he wants. Um, but he'll, he'll be mindful of a slow start. Funnily enough, actually, I think he'll just want to keep pace in the early stages of the match because he's entitled to be ring rusty. Um, obviously, if he does that, you would think he'd be too strong at the finish. Yeah, that's fair. There'll be a lot of eyes on that table, uh, Phil, but not to be uber trendy or anything, but I think... I. A lot of my attention will be on Stuart Bing and David Gilbert on that on that first morning. I, I find that rather an intriguing one. Perhaps we'll let you talk about that one first. Uh, I, I know it's a, certainly career head to head is one sided, but uh, how do you see this one? I, I was well. I didn't know if you'd have seen that or not. I looked that up earlier. I couldn't believe my eyes. Twelve oh. nil um, to Stuart Bingham on the career head to head in in all competitions. Um, which is remarkable. I know Bingham's obviously had a, a better career, won the world title, won the Masters. Um, but, you know, Gilbert has been a top 16 player, a very good player. Um, that was uh, quite stunning, really. And a lot of them, have, I'd looked through, not even been close. There's only been two deciders in uh, in those 12 games. So, uh, remarkable, really. Um, I don't know if Stewart's just got his number. Uh, I remember that 2020 Masters semi that they played. And um, Dave... Looked like he was on a bit of a roll there, and that's really when he was in his peak form. And I can't remember, I don't know what the odds were then, but there was a good feeling that Gilbert was going to come through the field there. Um, and Stewart sort of beat him fairly handily. Um, so yeah, um, Gilbert looked to be playing well in qualifying, uh, sort of saw off Barry Pinchers relatively easily and came through a, a, a competitive one with Stevens, but looked good at times. Um, obviously, if he finds form, he's brilliant, but um. Yeah, with that head to head, you've got to go with Bingham. Well, I I would anyway. I think that that's the level of head to head one sidedness where you say someone's got someone's number. I have to say, I, I'm 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 rather the same mind, Richard. What about you? Yeah, you know, I was quite keen on David Gill, but I thought he played well coming through qualifying. Um, I think this is a, a pretty tough draw for both of them, though, because obviously Hilbert wouldn't have wanted to face Bingham given that head to head. Bingham's a really strange one, isn't he? Kind of a bit of a false dawn in the Masters. We thought he was back. He played brilliantly earlier in the week. 
um, and then just came on stuck in the semis, offered nothing. He's, bits and pieces have promised since, um, but he, he looks still to me looks a long way from the well, certainly the player he was when he won it, and even in twenty twenty one when he he took Selby close in that semi final, we haven't seen that type of form from him since, have we? The one thing I would say is when he won the Masters the last time, it was a similar story, wasn't it? He'd been way out of sorts and then from, from nowhere he turned it on. And what we do know is when he tends to turn it on, it tends to be at the Crucible. But I find this a really hard one to weigh up because, as I say, I thought, thought Gilbert looked really sharp in qualifying. Um, but that head-to-head record stinks for him, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, I think in, in a way, that head-to-head record has made it easier to call because if that had just been what you would expect sort of, Seven five, seven four, and one. I wouldn't really know where to go with this. So it sort of it has made it easier in a way um, because I could see anything because they're, they're, they're the kind of players that could both get on a real roll. And if one sort of lost confidence, the other one gained it, then it could be really one sided. But if it went ten nine, you wouldn't be surprised either. Um, I remember Bingham's game with Trump last year, the Worlds when it was dead close. I think he was ahead, actually. And then they, he missed one ball, and then that was it. He was gone, um, which is very strange because he is sort of a crucible player. Obviously, he won it semi, the quarter last, that was in the quarters last year. So, um, yeah, that head-to-head has actually sort of got my out of jail in terms of making a prediction because it would be very hard to predict without it. Yeah, it's funny how things come back to you. Uh, I remember distinctly us sitting with Chris down there now in Tudor Square and all of us sharing our sort of surprise at how on earth that, that match developed. It was one of the oddest oddest ones, actually, of the, of the whole tournament, actually. Um, quite unbingham-like, actually, that was. Um, yeah, I, I remember that Masters semi as well quite well. I, funny how things come back to you. I remember Dave doing a, a joke afterwards about how I think he's had the highest break and he went, oh, my missus will go mad if that's taken from me as well. So I, I sort of remember that, but he, he did get beat quite... Quite handsomely, actually, having played well up till then. And yeah, we you know, have to go back to that career head to head. And obviously, you know, Dave's had his moments at the Crucible. Goodness, he nearly got to the final that year, didn't he? But Stewart's had massive moments at the Crucible, winning it, uh, semis, wasn't it? Was it last year's semis? Or I'm getting mixed yeah. up. I mean, it was, of course, two years ago. That's right. And, you know, he's just got the ability to sort of show up a lot of the time in big tournaments and you know it, the other thing though as you say I think you said Phil back getting on a roll um, Dave Gilbert did that a little bit early on against Ronnie last year won the first three frames I thought if he can do that against someone that's not as proficient in the big match as Ronnie maybe he could sort of scare and worry Stuart you know he, he's, a, he's a player that can go on bursts of frames so you know, it wouldn't amaze me at all if David Gilbert won, but I think I think we're all singing the same hymn sheet there that the 2015 winner will win that first round match. What do you say then, Richard, about Luca Bassell, Ricky Walden, another first round match that's kicking off Saturday afternoon? Really interesting one. This I'm in the Walden camp. A lot of time for Luca Bassell, but he still never won a match at the Crucible. I think he was the youngest player ever to play at the Crucible on his debut, and he's never won a match since. I found that remarkable. Ricky Walden's got a pretty decent Crucible record. He's a player I've got a lot of time for, Ricky Walden. Won three ranking events, and we kind of forget that, don't we, because it was so long ago. He's obviously had chronic back problems since I've really held him back. But but he's come through qualifying. That was a heck of a match with that guy, wasn't it? I think that guy made three tons in that match and still lost. 
Um, so probably tells you where Walden's game is at. And on all we've seen from Bursell at the Crucible, I, I, I'd be worried about him. I think Walden will come through this one. Yeah, I think... Uh, I feel exactly the same, really. I really like Bursell. I think he's excellent. I think he's so good to watch. Um, and he will win games at the Crucible. And he's still so young. He's still uh, in his 20s. So I don't... Uh, I think he's potentially, you know, he could go very deep at some point. Um, but yeah, maybe not. Maybe this isn't the point. I think, yeah, beating Tepshire 10-9 is, uh, is ideal preparation, isn't it, for Ricky Walden? And uh, he's such a good player when he's going. It's just, I think he's all right health-wise now. Certainly his back's fine. He was talking about he had a little twinge in his shoulder. I think he's one of those guys where there's always something something going slightly wrong. But he said he, he wasn't uh, fussed about it. It wasn't a, it wasn't a serious injury. Um, and he'll take a lot of confidence from that from that qualifying win. Um, and yeah, I think I'd probably be leaning there. Certainly, if I was putting any money on it, Ricky will be the underdog. So I, I think I'd go that way. Um, interestingly enough, you know, he said he's won three ranking tournaments and three big ones. It's because I think it's just they've all been in China. Maybe people haven't taken notice as much as they should, but they were big money wins. And I asked him if he felt like he's underrated. And he said, sometimes I feel underrated, but sometimes I feel overrated. <laughs> he said, that's just the nature of being a very inconsistent player. So I thought it was quite a nice answer from him. But um, yeah, again, you wouldn't be surprised either way, but I'd probably lean towards Ricky as well on this one. Well, just in terms of numbers, I, I'm sort of thinking a little bit the other way in terms of I can't believe Luca will keep losing. He's sort of mm -hmm. that good. That run's got to end. And... He could have got worse games than Ricky Warden. I think. I think it will go close. I mean, I don't. I don't think the. I don't. I'll be very surprised if the loser in this match has say fewer than seven frames. I think it really will. Having said that, their previous match at the Crucible was ten six. Funny enough, uh, to Warden, and that was um, five years ago. But Luca just ahead in in the head to heads. I think it will go really close. I can see why you you might be siding with Warden there, but. But maybe I think just in terms of numbers, Luca Luca might just emerge just about the winner in that one. And then we come along to another match Saturday afternoon, Neil Robertson against Wu Yizza. Well, I think I might say that Neil Folds has tipped Neil Robertson, has he not, Richard? Very keen on him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really, really confident. And he makes a he made a really good case, actually. I think he his argument was, you know, the last three or four years. The last three or four years, he's come to Sheffield and he's been the farm man, he's been hot favour, expectations have been high. But actually, it's such a marathon, isn't it, that you can easily run out of steam in the second week. And I think that's what's happened with Robertson. There was a quarterfinal in 2019. It turned into a war with John Higgins. Robertson had a great season and he just ran out of steam there. Uh, and I felt that was a little bit last year as well. He'd won the Players Series, hadn't he? Brilliant in the Tour Championship. And then he came up against Jack and he played his part in a good match, but he, he just ran out of gas. I, I fell anyway. Um, whereas that's not an excuse this year. And I know a lot of players come here fresh because, because of the light lighter calendar we've already discussed. But particularly with Robertson, I, I, he, he's not won a title all season, apart from the mixed doubles. He'll be really keen to put that right. His dad's over helping him prepare, which I thought was a really significant pointer as well. Um, I just think motivation-wise, there's a lot on the line for Robertson. 
And, and I don't buy into this crucible thing at all. I mean, he's made three quarterfinals in the last four years. He's been world champion before. Um, I think he's got, I like Neil, think he's got a lot going for him. And, and Neil made a really good point as well. He, he he doesn't look like he's going to be a man who just wins one world title. He's got he's got the profile of a multiple multiple winner because he's that good. I mean he's he's just to, to me at the moment he's one rung below greatness and he may well finish among those greats. And I know Nick, you hate talking about great great players and how we frame them, um, but he's he'll be close by the time he finishes anyway. But he'll know that he needs to win another world title, maybe two more. I can't believe he'll finish, he'll finish his career with one. He's too good for that, isn't he? <laughs> I don't hate it. What, what, I don't like to hate anything, actually. What, 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 what it is, is I, I, think I, I, I think I personally think people are... This is a, a taste thing. Are, are a bit quicker to Chris and greats than I would be, I think. Probably across all sports. But listen, my multiple world title rule it, it is an... Is, a, is not a rule without blemishes and flaws. And I think Robertson, maybe that rule shows itself up most in the form of Neil Robertson, because I genuinely think, Richard, he's had a, such a stunning career that even though my, with my multiple world title rule, might struggle to argue this, this man's not great if he ends with one even. It, it's nuanced, I would say that. Um, I would... And I would add that he's he's one of the best guests that Talking Snooker have had as well. I thought it was an excellent podcast, so he, he gets yeah. extra points for that, surely. He went bloody Elfield. I'm surprised he's not still talking. <laughs> he might be. I think we just cut him up, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> well, in terms of form, I struggle to to back to back him, but this tournament's a different beast and a different animal to anything else, you know, and. He does seem like he should win it more than once when his career ends, and I, I think well, I, th- I think he'll win his first match. I think he's got quite a nice one there, really, against a debutant. You know, a you know, pretty nice opener. Wu has written, Wu has reached one event quarterfinal this season, but I think you know, um, we don't know. Not all debutants are rabbit in headlights. Not at all. Some settle quite quickly, but I think it's an advantage for a seasoned. Crucible man, isn't it, Phil, to get off to a to a sort of good start on day one? You'd be surprised if that's not the case. As for winning the tournament, yeah, I fully respect Neil's view. It's a good one, and he, he may well do. But even though this tournament's different to anything else, uh, it's, it's, I've seen so, so little of that top, top-level Robertson in the last, say, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks that I, I, I struggle to put him at the very top of my list. But listen... It's subjective, and it will. There'll be no great surprise if he does do it, Phil. Yeah, it's, it's funny. We were sort of talking about this last time, I think, or the time before. But um, it, it's such an unusual tournament compared to everything else that you start picking people because they're not in form. So, because <laughs> I think that was coming up with Sean Murphy, and we said, "Oh, he's been so good. Yeah, surely he can't, can't keep it up, so we can't tip him." even though he's, we all agree he's been the best player recently. Um, and yeah, I agree with what Richard was saying. It sort of, it makes sense that, um, you know, Robertson has come in as the form horse and struggled. So now he's not, maybe he'll do better. But uh, it's such a weird thing to be doing, isn't it? I think he's playing poorly, so he'll do well. But I get it, it's, it's unusual. Um, but yeah, I do agree, Nick. Um, Wu is, um, you know, I was, I was really bigging up Pang as a very impressive youngster who's coming on and, having no struggle staying on tour and Wu's in the same category 
Um, he was sort of tipped beforehand. Um, between Jason Ferguson, Alan McManus was tipping him up as a, as a great prospect. And he, he's delivering, you know, he's not sort of racking up titles or anything, but he's only 19. Um, he's making his Crucible debut. Um, and he's going to come out all guns blazing. He's very attacking. Um, he'll, he'll crunch in some very impressive pots, um, but it'll certainly leave Neil Robertson some chances. So, um, yeah, I think it, it's a good draw for Neil. Um, you know, we will probably get some nice viral clips that'll earn him some fans, and that's great. Uh, I'd be stunned if he wins 10 frames on Neil Robertson, though, um, but it should be a very exciting match. I'm probably thinking about 10-4, 10-5. Richard, what are you thinking for this? Yeah, 10-4 for me. I, I was actually just thinking that before you mentioned that I, the, the handicap betting for anyone who's interested in it. But I, I think Robertson will win comfortably here. I, like, like Phil says, if he gets given chances, we know he'll score. Um, and I think that from what I've seen of Rue this year, he, he, he's, he's very attacking. He'll definitely open the door for Neil. And if he's playing well... Robertson, he'll be making centuries for fun, I expect. Yeah, I'd go along with that one. Um, well, Ali Carter, Jack Jones, chance for me to plug in a bit more depth my Ali Carter piece. This match getting underway on Saturday evening. And well, Ali was on great form. He nearly always is when I speak to him over the years, I have to say. He was telling me how, how close he came to quitting snooker last year. Uh, got some good advice from a friend saying, you know, it's not the right time. Ali potentially thinking about a different career in the aviation industry, maybe as a commercial pilot. But his friend was saying, look, you're at about 40% power. You raise that to 70. You're not going to go to 100. You've got too much going on. You're at the age you're at. You've got all your commitments in life. Give it 70, and then we'll see how you get on. Combine that with working with Chris Henry. We know what you know, what wonders he worked with the number of players. I'm interested to hear Ali talk, and not all, all of this one in the piece, actually, but emphasising, you know, how how strong technically that Chris Henry is, as well as the mental side. It's, it's twofold, really. But Ali, as we know, you know, he struggled with his mentality a lot over the years. You, you know, getting angry with himself, getting frustrated with himself. He wants to cut that out. You know, it's hard to cut that out completely because of who he is, but he's shedding enough of it to, I think, have had what, what has been a very, very strong season. Because he's playing against a guy that's beaten Barry Hawkins in qualifying, so it it's um it's not an easy one at all. And he's won their two their two previous meetings. I was looking at that Jack Jones as well. But I'm I'm going to back Carter, and I know we don't have our favourites in this game, but I I really hope that Ali does himself justice this year and backs up what he's done this season because I think I'd, I'd love to see him go go quite deep in the cruise. But I have to say, I, I said it before, Phil. I think it would be a very exciting. Site and I noticed um, Bill Yates was doing his his previews um, for World Snooker Tour in recent days, and he thinks that Ali's a potential nice bet for a top uh, for a last four place, and uh, that 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 could be that could well be on the cards. Who knows if he can get some form up there? Ali said, you know, a lot has to go in your favour, of course, in these tournaments. A bit of help from opponents, nice draws here and there, and you know you have to play well. He thinks he is playing well, so it'll be fascinating to see. It will be, yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. I've got a bit of a soft spot for Ali just because he's, I find it very interesting whenever I spoke to him as well. And uh, I think it's because it sort of goes against, you know, a lot of people, a lot of snooker fans, he's not their favourite player, is he? But um, then when you speak to him, he's very engaging. So, uh, yeah, I know exactly what he's saying. I mean, if he won this and Neil Robertson won, they'd be meeting in the second round. So if, if he is to have a deep run, he's got to 
he's probably going to have to get past uh, a very stern test there. But uh, you never know. Jack, Jack Jones is a, an interesting one. He's uh, He's been getting good results over the last few He's been steadily sort of progressing. Um, I think that Hawkins win was the best win of his career. Really very impressive. Um, I think what he's sort of known for most is, um, which is not ideal, but is very slow shot times. He's often sort of over 30 seconds. And he's been saying, I spoke to him a couple of years ago, and he's still saying the same thing, that that's not how he plays in practice, not how he wants to play. And it's like a mental block that he's trying to stop himself doing it. And his game will be better when he does stop himself doing it. But he just sort of was overthinking things so much. Um which on your Crucible debut, I don't know if that could sort of get even worse. Um, I don't know. Um, or it could be sort of a style that really bogs down Carter and winds him up and puts his new sort of zen-like state to the test. So um, an interesting one. Um, Carter's obviously the favourite. Um, loads of experience at this venue. Great season. So I'd, I'd go with Carter. But, um, yeah, J- Jones has, has got an interesting something interesting about him. Um, he's a good player um, with a lot of potential. Um, and, yeah, if it does get very slow and stodgy, you know, Carter can deal with that, but, you know, it might get a bit frustrating for him. So, um, yeah, I'd go 10-5, Carter, something like that. Yeah, I think think from what we've seen from Ali this season, his, his form's been that strong. And, and at the Crucible, you just can't see him playing poorly, can you? And... I think I think Jack Jones has improved a lot. Um, probably one of the most improved players going around. But this is another level up at the Crucible. I, I think Ali will prove too strong. I feel like Ali Carter, and we'll we'll get on to John Higgins in a minute, won't we? But I feel like Ali and John are probably the two with a bit of unfinished business at the Crucible. John obviously losing in three consecutive finals. Um, didn't have much chance against Judd, did he? But I mean, the one against Williams and against Selby, you probably feel he should have won those. Um, and Ali Carter got to two finals and, I mean, really bumped into O'Sullivan, didn't he? I mean, <laughs> barring anyone else, you know, he may well be world champion. I think he actually said that, didn't he, Nick, in the, in the interview? They they feel like they've got unfinished business and and I'd love to see either one of them win. I really would. Yeah, I'd go along with that. He, did, he, said, he said something like, I ran into Mr O'Sullivan, which, um, yeah, he's exactly. <laughs> very unlucky to play uh, Ronnie in, in one of those, wouldn't he be? But to, but to, to playing him in both, yeah, it really was um, it, it really was uh, quite quite unfortunate that. Well, we have to move on then, do we, now, I think, to Ding Junhui against Hossein Vafai. And, well, I noticed the career head-to-heads is 1-1 here, so not a lot of gauge there. Actually, with some very nice snooker in this match, I would have thought. Um. My goodness me, I mean, it's Ding is a nightmare to predict for any snooker pundit on summer levels, isn't he? Because, you know, he he's a guy that can go into a tournament like the UK, like the UK won, like the UK got to the final in this season, having done little before, particularly in the case of the one he won, actually. I think there were signs a bit more this time. But then, you know, he, he'll do really well in the tournament, then he'll go quiet again. I mean, I think he won the sixth race, didn't he, recently? But... You know, Hossein Mufai is a, a... Peter actually was talking in very glowing terms about him, wasn't he, Richard, and your Sporting Life video that you know, he says he's a player he loves watching. I think we all kind of... I say we were speaking for us all, but I think there's, there's something very pleasing about Hossein Mufai, his attitude on the table and off it kind of thing. You know, he's um, he really is a sort of breath of fresh air and he's a, he's a sort of de- delight to watch, really. And I'm finding this kind of hard to predict. I'm, I'm probably going to stick with the 
biggest hitter in Ding Junhui because I think, you know, he might just about have a bit too much class. But it's a flimsy one because I never quite know what sort of head he's going to have on type thing. Is that, am I being, a, is that fair enough for me, Richard? No, I think I think I think you're right. I think recent evidence tells us that. What I would say is, it seems to me like the big the big events are the things that really get get Ding going now. Um, he, he, the six reds was a big deal in Thailand, and he won it, and he, he clearly seemed to thrive in that atmosphere, didn't he? UK finalist. His, his last big win was in the UK as well, and I just think he'll. It seems to be. These events are the ones he really wants to play in. He's no good playing in a leisure centre on a Monday afternoon in a home nations event. That just isn't going to be ding. But I think he'd be keyed up to do well in this event. That obviously doesn't guarantee anything. And he's up against a really good player in in Hassan Vafai. I think we often talk about crucible grinders. And I I think we've probably been a little bit ignorant because you need a bit of everything, don't you, to do well here. You need to be able to tough it out in those tough seconds. But you do need that that ability to go on the attack and score when you need to. And from what I've seen of Hussein, he, he's got a bit of everything in his game. Um, so I I think I think a big run at the Crucible over the next few years from him is inevitable. Whether it comes this year, I'm not too sure, but he can definitely put it up to Ding. I've got this a really close match. Yeah, nothing in it for me, really. Um, the, yeah, I mean, Ding's obviously done a lot more in his career, but Hussein's still so young. I think he's only 28. Um He's from my school of looking a bit older than you are. Um, uh, he's, as you say, he's got everything. He's just been cr- progressing brilliantly. Um, looked great on his Masters debut this year. Thrived under that um, under the big crowd. He said, he said after he came through the Judgment Day that um, he can't wait to play in the Crucible again. He, he mentioned the Masters two or three times about how much he loved it playing in in, in front of two or three thousand people. Um, so he's not going to be overawed. Um, he had a very tough draw with Judge Trump in his first. Crucible run last year, um, and this will be a, a, a much more level game. I, I can't really see it any more one-sided than 10A either way. I wouldn't be surprised with either. Um, obviously, Hussein has not won a match the Crucible yet, but Ding's had a, a lean run, really. He's not won a, won a game in either of his last two visits, and then the previous two before that, he was out in the last 16. So uh, not been great for him there. Very, as Nick, you're right, so hard to predict. Um I, I'll probably lean to Hussein. If I was, again, like I said with Ricky, if I was betting, I imagine Hussein's the underdog and he'll present the value there. Um, but what a game. I think one we haven't got onto yet, which will be obvious, but I think this was second in my, ooh, uh, reaction when the draw was made earlier. Um, it's, a, it's a really attractive contest and uh, not to be missed. Well, it's been a, bit, a big week for spoilers, of course, with the national newspaper... Um, <laughs> flashing up a massive succession uh, story on their front page, which I'm, I'm not quite over yet. Um, was your biggest ooh for Trump and McGill? It was, yeah. I think that, that was... <laughs> I think McGill against almost anyone would have been, but against one yeah. of the former world champions like that, uh, yeah, that was, that was the biggest ooh. That was the biggest ooh and, the, and an R for, for most of us, I think. What about you then, Phil, maybe carrying on with Mark Williams, Jimmy Robertson? I mean, uh, I, I'm not finding it too hard to predict the winner of this one, I have to say. And uh, it's just, Mark, obviously, formidable crucible record over the years. Yeah, I think um, tough to come up with an argument for Jimmy, really. I know he's a really good player. I don't want to sound that disrespectful at all. Um, 
but he, he's a couple of levels below Mark Williams, isn't he? Um, their head-to-head record 10-0 to Williams. Uh, they played at the Crucible before. Last time Jimmy was there, actually, 2018. And Mark won 10-5, went on to win the tournament. Um, again, not that close in those. 10-0 to Williams, no deciders, three whitewashers. Um, four whitewashes if you count the shootout as a whitewash, but that sounds a bit harsh. Um, and Williams, yeah, not had a... I mean, the run to the Masters final, of course. Uh, not had a standout season in ranking events, really. Um, but, you know, I've heard some people tipping him for the title this um, this year. Um, I wouldn't quite go there, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised to see him in the semis or even the final. Um, yeah, he's... Uh, it's just difficult for an argument for Jimmy, isn't it? Um, I, I've got to go with Mark. Give us an argument for Jimmy. Go on. <laughs> can't, Nick. I can't. I, I actually thought he was going to be one of the dangerous qualifiers, though. He's a really good player to watch, isn't he? Attractive, free-flowing player, um, good scorer. But when I, when I saw him up against Mark Williams, that head-to-head record, it stinks, doesn't he? And I'm pretty sweet on Williams' full stop over the next couple of weeks. I think he'll play well. I'm... I'm not sure he's quite capable of winning a, a, a really big one again, um, but he showed in the Masters and again here last year when making the last four, he's still very capable of going very close in the biggest events. I think he'll have a good run. I think, unfortunately, I think Jimmy Robertson's up against it. And I think something like 10-5 would seem very plausible to me. I, I think I'd go along with that, really. Uh, yeah. It, it's funny because... They're all they're all marvelous. The class of ninety two, obviously, and they and we must all keep that privilege of watching them. But just maybe the, the way I'm thinking at the moment, I always think that for me personally, it's the most with Williams. I just think he's been such a joy to watch in the very very recent big tournaments, the recent Crucibles. He was magic last year, really. I mean, I know I know he lost out in that semi, and he had that bad start that I think you referenced earlier, Richard, that sort of undermined him and his, his hopes a lot. But he was just such a joy. And I think I watched a couple of his, his, his sessions live in the arena and so mesmeric. Again, the aforementioned Chris Downer spoke well about that. I think he said he was the one that he liked watching out of those the most, certainly live, because he's just a, a joy to watch, really. You're right, Jimmy Robertson's a fine player, but, you know, I think Mark will have too much in there, really. And then we come to, well, maybe back to you, Richard. Should we go for Mark Allen against... Uh, Fan Shengji. So uh, we've got a guy that's had brilliant results this season, but still insists that he hasn't been at his highest level, which is what makes kind of the 2020, uh, 22-23 campaign so fascinating for Alan. I've got this as down as a, a, a tough match, actually, for Mark. He's really gone off the boil since the early part of the season, and it's been a brilliant season. Another Northern Ireland title, UK Championship, World Grand Prix winner. Fantastic but his form has tailed off and, and it's probably not surprising really. It was always going to be hard for him to keep that level up. I mean, these guys aren't machines, are they? Um, and that's why you see people in peaks and troughs and Sean Murphy's in a peak at the moment. I just wonder whether Alan can get back there before the season's out. I'm not too sure, to be honest. And and in fan, he's up against a terrific talent who's a ranking, uh, ranking title winner already. The other thing about Mark Allen, you guys might have a different view to me, but I've heard a lot this week about people saying he's got to come out and play more aggressively. Um, he's got to fire more bullets if he's got to become world champion. This this cautious approach is adopted. Won't work. I'm not so sure, actually. I don't fancy him this week for the, for the early reasons I stated about 
him potentially being over the top for the year. But his approach has worked. I, I struggle to criticise him, really. I mean, he won him a UK, won him a World Grand Prix. He's clearly got a working formula. Um, so I, I don't think he'll listen too much to that. I think he'll go with what's worked for him. It's just whether he can actually recapture his best form, regardless of the approach he takes. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. He sort of did... Uh, what I've struggled with the weight in it, and it, I agree, when he was winning stuff, no arguments at all, because winning's all that matters, really. But then he hasn't been winning stuff for a month since then. And what I was struggling to get my head around is, because he was struggling, he played a different type of game. And then he stuck with that type of game. But that while that, that worked for a bit, so good. But do you ever go back to your better game? Like, How do you find your form again if you're playing this different style of play? Um, and obviously, if someone's struggling and just carries on playing the same jobs all the time, you can be criticised for that as well. But maybe if you stick to that, you will click back into gear at some point. It's a horrible balance to try and strike, and I've probably butchered explaining it there. Um, but um, I don't know if you wanted to get too bogged down in this, I'm not playing great, so I've got to play like this. Because um, it might be difficult to ever regain um, some more fluency and some better form. Um, and yeah, Fan is, <laughs> I guess, probably the most inspirational player in here because we just saw him do that unbelievable tournament once. Um, and that's near enough it. Um, he had a little run of the champion champions early in the season. Um, and, you know, it was a good win against Stephen Maguire um, to get here. Uh, we know he can do something absolutely amazing, um, but there's not loads of evidence of it. But yeah, I agree. Um, I can see it tight. Um, I'll, I'll stick with Alan. Um, could get a bit ugly, I think, actually. Um, but it'll be interesting. Yeah, I think I've, the sort of the wisest thing is probably to stick with Alan. But you have to watch himself. And for some reason, my mind goes back to that. It was Jamie Clark he lost to, wasn't it? And I still remember people saying how his approach to that match was a little bit odd, a bit jovial. Maybe we're too hypercritical, I don't know. But he does chuck, not only is his crucible record ordinary generally, but he will chuck in really early exits, like first round, second round. He doesn't even get to like, you know, quarter semi, some, you know, a lot of the time. So it is a worry. He's clearly not in, in, in the best form. But then, of course, I've got your thing in my head, Phil, as, you know... <laughs> We'll see what happens, then we'll paint our own narrative. And, of course, if Mark now does well and wins it, we'll say, oh, he was playing well, he had a rest, and now he got yeah. his, his second win and he's doing well again. That's why he won it. Um, so, yeah, when your record's that bad, we're not even talking Neil Robertson level, are we? Because Neil's won it. And I should have said, Rich, Rich, I was I'm very interested by your points about Neil, actually, and about how you think that's overblown. Joe Perry would agree. I always remember Joe saying that on here, that he thinks that, you know, Neil's got in his hand. He doesn't think he has a big problem there uh, because he does win a lot of matches there. But that's not quite the same for Alan, really. I know I'm going off in tangents here a bit. And I think, I'd, you know, he would probably get through this, I would say, myself, to predict it. But, you know, it's it's, it's hard to, to look at him in the last sort of month or two and, and, and really back him when he got again, you know, the, the likes of Selby, maybe the likes of Robertson, maybe the likes of Ronnie and, and, uh, and, and various other big hitters. Uh, that, I think, is eight eight matches done. So we should say you are listening here to Talking Snooker with uh, Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. And our very special guest presenter is Richard Mann from Sporting Life. And you should check out Sporting Life for their excellent snooker coverage, 
including the thoughts of Neil Folds and indeed my interview with Ali Carter. There's loads on there. And we move on to John Higgins against David Grace underway on Monday afternoon. Higgins has won all their three previous matches. Uh, David Grace, I think, has only played one previous match at the Crucible. Higgins has had a, a very ordinary season by his standards, no question. He, you know, He's not been at the levels he'd like to be to his great frustration at times. But we've been saying on here, Richard, it's so Higgins to start showing those signs of playing better in the last sort of four or five weeks. And he is visibly showing signs of improvement. His play, level of play has gone up. His demeanour has got a bit a bit sort of better. And, you know, he's talking quite a good game. And, you know, he's such a humble one. You notice that when he starts talking sort of half good game, you know, he's sort of feeling a bit more confident about things. So I'm, I'm expecting him, him to win this, frankly. And I, who knows how deep he'll, he'll go. It's hard to argue that he'll, he'll, he'll win it again. But, you know, you, you never say never. You know, you, of course not, especially with Ronnie still winning it. Mark Williams going close. Age seems no barrier to them. But um, David Grace, listen, he, he's got that crest of a wave thing. And you wouldn't quite say free hit because, you know, he, he'll he want to win this match. He'll want to win it badly. But he'll have a bit, he'll be dangerous in a way because he won't have, he won't feel enormous pressure. He's got that tour card. You know, he, he's at this big stage. He's playing one of the greatest players of all time. So he, he'll feel, I think, un, unburdened on some levels. However, in saying that, uh, Phil, I do, I do sort of fancy the form horse and 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 the class of ninety-two man to win this. Yeah, I think uh, I'm right in saying that David is the the biggest underdog in terms of the odds um, of any in the first round. Uh, I'm happy to be correct on that, but I think that's what I saw. Um, and yeah, it's again like similar with Jimmy. It's hard to argue too much. John has obviously not had a great season, but. He has come into some form, certainly better form in the back end of the season than he was early on. Um, he's, he's right. He said he's been playing well. Um, I've heard McManus talking on commentary on punditry duties a couple of times, um, saying that you know something's clicked in practice. Um, and yeah, whether that means he'll go semi's final, win the thing, we don't know. But it, it'll probably be too much for for David Grace. Um, Although if he, I think he finished. I don't. He made a century all qualifying, and then made two in his last two frames. So if he can keep that up, then you know he'll win the bloody thing. But um, <laughs> I'm not backing him to do that just yet. Um, but yeah, uh, I think you know Higgins should win that, shouldn't he? Well, we're not fans, are we, Richard? We might be fans with laptops in that old phrase, but you are something with John Higgins fan, aren't you? I love hearing you and and reading you talk about him. You, you you just think he's formidable like the rest of us do, but you have such a sort of high regard for him, don't you? I do have a soft spot. I always remember my first year actually in this job um, and I, I went went off down to the Crucible press day. You guys are going tomorrow all excited. And I was just a bag of nerves and I made a mess of my first interview with Mark Selby. And I remember Mark looking at me thinking, what have they sent here? Um, <laughs> and I sat down with John Higgins. I couldn't even work the dictaphone thing. I just use an iPhone now. I gave up with that a long time ago. But John Higgins was so humble and he just made me feel at ease straight away. And I immediately re relaxed with him. 
Um, it was a year after he'd lost to Selby in the final, and, and he just he, he spoke really openly, and he just said about that defeat. He said it was one that that when I'm alone and when the kids aren't there, and, and I'm I'm alone in my own thoughts, I still think about it even now, and it really hurts. And and I wouldn't say he was getting yeah, he was almost getting emotional talking about it. And I remember immediately having so much more respect for him for for him opening up like that and talking about it and and I was so pleased that year that he had took a good run then and he got to the final loss to Williams of course but I just liked him and the year after I interviewed him again and we remembered each other he just really just came across a really nice bloke I, I can't say we're friends and I know him that well um, but I immediately liked him I, I found him first class to deal with all through this job really um, and his record at the Crucible is phenomenal. Even when he's had a bad season, he turns up at the Crucible and he generally does the business. Um, I think he'll play well over the next of the next week or so. I don't think he'll win it, but I definitely think we'll see his best form of the season in Sheffield. That was really insightful from you, actually. And do you know what? Of those three finals, I mean, Trumpy was beaten by an incredible performance and beaten heavily. Williams won. Williams was mostly in charge. I'm not going to use the words the one that got away about Selby because Selby did play really well, but that was the one that was the closest to being that out of the three. And Selby had that lead. You know, I did, I did an interview with Selby for the programme. That's and anyway, I've got my Ronnie O'Sullivan one coming up by the way in this year's programme. But I did Selby the, the, the year after, and he was brilliant in terms of seeing the body language of Higgins the next day at the practice table. I think he lost the loss three frames, maybe something like that, on the session before. And he was like, oh, John looked like he was losing. Even though he was still ahead by three or four, I think, going into that last day. And I, and I, I really love that sort of psychology about it. But it was pure Selby, that final. It was, it was Selby digging in at the end of the first day of memory serves and keeping him in the hunt. A lot of guys would not have been able to do that. So uh, I really love that, 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 that insight that he, he would still think about it like that. Well, we move on to Robert Milkins against uh, uh, Joe Perry. Um, these guys have been around for a while, haven't they, Phil? They, they might they might know each other's games by now. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. Um, yeah, I think I looked at the head the first game was in 1997. Um, so, yeah, they've been slugging it out for a while. Uh, and another, not whitewashing the head-to-head, but very one-sided, 13-2 in Joe Perry's oh. favour, which, um, yeah, I suppose maybe if you'd asked people... Uh, 18 months ago wouldn't been that surprising but now we're dealing with a two-time ranking event winner it, it does sound surprising because um, Milkins is coming in as the seed uh, the man in much better form um, but yeah it, you'd still having said that it's a level game uh, um, very difficult to call uh, oh, yeah I mean Milkins has had such a golden year you'd probably edge him but um Perry coming off two games. Um, he admits himself that he doesn't put the practice in that he used to. Um, that's why he's inconsistent. But he obviously has the world. Two qualifying games is going to get him as sharp as he has been for a long while. So it's, oh, I wouldn't be putting any money on that myself. Um, but it'll be certainly closer than 13-2, the head-to-head record suggests. I might just go for, for Perry in this one, actually. I, I, there's absolutely nothing in it. Wouldn't be remotely surprised if it's 10-8 or even the, even the decider. Uh, I think he's got... I'm a bit obsessed by it now, but he's got that reprieve man syndrome thing. I saw a couple of people put this thing on social media. I think there's an element of that. Not quite free hit, but 
a little tiny part of that while I was out and Mark Davis had that pink type thing. Um, so the other thing that makes me doubt Milkins a little bit is that he's had a dream time, of course, no doubt about it, winning the Welsh, marvellous. But he just seemed like he's been a bit on, on empty a little bit, running on empty a little bit over the last few weeks. I've seen him in a few times. He's been like, yeah, he's looked quite sort of weary really the end of a sort of long 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 season and maybe a longer one for him than it's been for a while because he's been getting so deep in events so I think there are times when you think it's going to ben- it benefits playing in the qualifiers and I think this might be one of those occasions because also he's going to get a bit of a rest he's starting not starting until Monday night so he's going to get quite a bit of time off. I know we had that debate, we haven't had it here today, but there, there is the debate about whether the qualifiers should have a bit more distance between you know, the, the end of that and the main event. Well, this has got quite a few days, so I'm just going to tip Perry, but I'll tell you what, yeah, not much confidence in it. It's, uh, I think it's going to be close, Richard, eh? I've got Perry, Perry winning a little bit more comfortable than that, actually. I think it's been a fairy tale for Milkins, but I do wonder if this is where the story ends for this season, at least. Um, I agree with you. He looks to me like he's running on empty a bit. Perry, on the other hand, peaking, come through qualifying. He, he played pretty well as well. I know we talk about that epic game, but I think he played pretty well by and large. And he's, he's got a real good crucible game, I'd say. Yo, Perry, good, strong all-round game. I think he'd be too strong for Milkins. Yeah, well, it'd be certainly interesting to see that one uh, between... Uh... Two players that we've known for an awful long time in the game, Milkies and Perez Phil said, I noticed that. First meeting in 97. And they played in the UK Championship in 1998, heavens above. Mm-hmm. And still now in 2023, fighting out in the World Championship. They really have had, a, you know, storming long careers, haven't they? Well, Jack Lazowski, Nopon Sankam is underway on Tuesday morning. And, well, Nopon's not afraid of, of, of winning at the World Championship. He beat Sean Murphy at the COVID uh, tournament of 2020 and beat Luca Purcell last year. Was it Higgins who gave a really good game to after that? I think it was. Um, he did play, John, yeah. yeah. That was the famous viral clip, wasn't it, of, of the beautiful bowing to all parts of the arena. And uh, he really is a, a delight, isn't he, to, to, to sort of see on, on and off the table, actually. And, well, I mean, listen, if we, if we, we, I wouldn't mind a shilling for every time I could, I've thought Jack Lazowski looked vulnerable in a big match. I'd have, I'd have quite a few... And again, this is sort of that word shilling again, Phil. I still think in terms of that. Um, and of course, you know, this is another one where it, I, I, I'm, I'm, half, I'm sort of half tempted to back, to back Nopon here and it probably might just do that because Nopon has got those wins against big players before. Dazowski did very well here last year, actually, which is a big plus in his favour. And, of course, he had that famous win, didn't he, over, over Robertson. We thought a bit of a coming of age. He hasn't quite had the season, I think, I, I'd have maybe expected him to have. So, yeah, I'm I'm probably just going to back Nopon to win this one. What do you say, Richard? I'm with you. I, I'm, I think Nopon's got a really good chance of springing what would be a, a bit of a surprise, wouldn't it? Um, good crucible record. I think there's a really good match with Mark Selby in there as well. Might have been the year you'd won it. Um, forgive me if I'm wrong on that, but he, he, he tends to play well here. He's another with a good solid all-round game. As for Jack, no real criticism about his game. I just feel that he missed a couple of really good opportunities earlier in the season, didn't he? I mean, there's that semi-final in Germany with Tom Ford. I mean, good grief, how didn't he win that one? Um, and then Mark Allen in the UK before that, they were crushing body blows. 
And I feel to, a little bit like it's left its mark on Jack. He hasn't been as sharp since. Um, and Nopon, to me, looks like he's peaking nicely. Um, so I'd be tempted to take the outsider here. Yeah, Nopon has been good. It's his best season so far. It's too big, so he's the British in the Grand Prix. Um, he looks so solid when he's playing well. It's it's hard to work out why he hasn't sort of gone up that ne- next level yet because, um, you know, he's not really young. He's 30. He's not old, but um, he's old enough to have jumped up another notch yet because, yeah, as I say, when he when he's looking good, he looks very, very good. Um, Lasowski, we just don't know. Do we? Um, he could come out and uh, blow up on away, blow anyone away. Um I think if he set, if he comes down comes out and settles, um, and has a good first two three frames, then I'd go with Jack. But um, anything edgy, and if Nopon gets his scoring boots on, you hear stories about Nopon in practice, and it's just endless endless tons. Um, if he can get settled himself, so well, I mean, yeah, you could say that about a few games, couldn't you? But it's very hard to call. I'll go with Jack because you two have gone with Nopon, but um, not with huge confidence. <laughs> a very interesting one to watch. It will be so many of these first round matches. We just can't wait to see. Uh, match between two good friends, Gary Wilson and Elliot Slesser. What are you making of that one, Richard? Another really close game. I think I think I would stick with the seed, though, Gary Wilson. Obviously, won his maiden ranking title this season, but he's got a good game for the Crucible as well, hasn't he? He was semi finalist the year Judd won it. Another is just a strong safety game, but that ability to score when he needs to, I think he's rock solid. I think he could have a bit of a, a good run, potentially, Gary Wilson. If they want the massive priced outsiders, um, he'd probably be the one I would I would sort of be tempted to throw a few quid at, actually. Um, I, I do like him, got a really good temperament as well. Uh, but that's not taking anything away from Elliot, who's come through um, qualifying really well. Some big wins there. And the other thing about Elliot Slesse is, he seems to have this. This he, he really thrives on the big matches. I, I I'm not sure what the head's head is now, but he had a really good record against Ronnie earlier in his career, and he was quite open about the fact that he wanted the big guns. He loved playing them and taking them on. So I don't think he'd be overawed by this at all. Um, the occasion won't get to him. I just think Gary might be too solid for him. Yeah, he said that. Actually, we spoke to him afterwards, and he said he's a big game player, um, and he's played at the Crucible once before, but it was during COVID, and he was. Uh, very open about how disappointed he was about playing in front of nobody. And, it, you know, when your first crucible experience is that and it's what you've been dreaming of uh, for years and years and then it was so disappointing. So he's going to be rel- relishing this. And, yeah, I think him beating, you know, dominating Joe Yulong in the final qualifying game. I know Joe didn't play as well as he can, obviously. Um, but it was still, Slesser was very, very impressive. Um and potentially a bit of the, the Peter Ebden factor with him. Um, Ebden's been working with him and McGill and Lasowski. Um, and I noticed on commentary a few times, they mentioned that that might be where Slesser might have been getting wound up because he, he, he's been subjected <laughs> he was subject to that in the past, uh, losing his head a little bit. But if he's a bit calmer now, um, even in the previous round, um, being Liam Highfield, I imagine Highfield was probably favourite for that game. Um, so long old slog beating him 10-9. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you on on Wilson. Um, obviously, that fine win, and then good recent form, quarterfinals of the players, semi-finals of the classic. Um, but yeah, not a lot in this for me. And I think what was interesting as well, and I was surprised how well he did against Joey Long. And Slesser said afterwards that oh, we've practiced loads and loads and loads because 
um, shows based up in Darlington. And maybe that helped him sort of play his more relaxed, more normal game. And that could help him against Gary as well. So could be an upset there for me. Yeah. Hard one to call. I think I've, I've developed quite a lot more faith in Gary Wilson generally in the sort of last two years, maybe. Uh, very impressive what I saw from Elliot Slesser in qualifying, but I think Wilson would probably have too much just about. Obviously, he's had the experience of getting all the way to a Crucible semi before. Uh, it can sometimes be difficult, wouldn't it, with, with good friends? We we had Jordan Bramall here, didn't we, Phil, and talking about that match with Mark Allen and saying, you know, it's just, it's a weird vibe about it, really. And it, it can make it unpredictable. I mean, of course, it's, it's business heads, you know, when they get down to it, it's all about focusing on, on the game and trying to get that, that win. But I think I'll probably, just because he feels so, so much more of a sort of big-time performer generally in the game, I'm going to back, back Gary Wilson there. And then on to a match starting on Tuesday afternoon, Judd Trump, Anthony McGill. Well, yeah, oohs and ahs. And Rob Walker uh, nailed that this morning. A word about the draw, by the way. I probably should should say that, Phil. I mean, it, it it caused a little bit of a debate. Some people don't like the way it's done. I thought it was, let's say, better is probably the wrong word. I thought it was very strong to have it on a platform like Five Live at half eight in the morning. I thought that, you know, that, that you can't compare that to me, to a, to a, to a sort of stream on YouTube. Um, you know, I think this was... You know, high profile. I love the sound of it. You know, I'm a big radio man, big audio man, uh, and I thought I thought it was well done. I thought Rob Walker and Sean Murphy did a cracking job. And what was your view? Uh, yeah, so mixed. Uh, definitely, it was a good job. I, I tuned in, listened to it. It was very good. Uh, Rick Edwards was <laughs> cracking some gags, which were good. Um, and yeah, it came across brilliantly. Ellie Aldroyd's an excellent broadcaster. Um, the whole thing, as it came across, was brilliant. Um, but I, I did have my doubts about whether um, only having it on a British radio station was quite appropriate for a World Championship draw. Um, I'm sure they'll be able to tell us that the listenership to Five Live is probably bigger than the streaming numbers they got for streaming it online before. So that might make sense to get it to a wider audience because obviously uh, plenty of people would have tuned in to watch the draw in the past but they would have to be snooker fans who would be following it anyway. The bonus of the way they did it this year is it'll get to a load of people who wouldn't normally know about it. So certainly pros and cons. Uh, I hope people elsewhere outside of Britain were able to hear it because that would be a con if not. Um, and yeah, just ha having no sort of streaming option at the same time felt like a bit of a backward step. But yeah, I certainly agree with the presentation of it as it was, that was brilliant. Load of good people involved, done very well. Um, but yeah, I saw both sides of that really. Do you know what, Richard? Disagreements between Hague and Metcalf are as rare as hen's teeth. We <laughs> hardly ever have any, but we might, might we might well have had one. I think people could listen to it abroad because a lot of people were asking me, and I know they do have issues because I, you know, times I've been abroad and tried to listen to. A Premier League football match or Test cricket or something that is often blocked. But I don't think regular program is is very often blocked. So I I think that was available overseas to to sort of clear that up in terms of the international audience having to listen. But do you have any view on it, Richard? Just what I'd say about that. I mean, there's been so much criticism, hasn't there, of, of World Snooker recently? Some of it justified, some of it absolutely not. 
And I feel like we were almost watching them at the moment for every move they make. Um, and I think they probably deserve a little bit of credit for trying to be innovative here and, and try something new. I think Phil's right, probably isn't perfect. I think perfect scenario would it would it have been on the radio and also a live stream as well. I'd, I'm not quite sure why they couldn't do both. Um, but definitely full marks for, for effort and trying something different. Um I feel like we're constantly looking at Wells Newark at the moment, but they're definitely trying. They're definitely working hard. Um, so no, it's all, it's all good for me. Do you, do you think they're getting too much of a hard time generally, and and you think people should get off their backs? I do. I, th- I think there have been mistakes made. My sort of big gripe would I think there was a lot of focus on China, which was absolutely right, but I felt like it was all eggs in the Chinese basket. No one could have predicted the pandemic was going to come, but when it did come, and obviously that those tournaments were lost, that money was lost, I kind of didn't really have anywhere else to go. I think there should have been a bit more investment towards Europe because we've seen in Germany how popular the game is and Holland and places like that. I'd like to think we could have a tournament in Holland or maybe two in Germany in time, but it feels like we're a little bit behind the eight ball with that now because the focus was solely on China. Um, it's not easy, and I'm not standing here saying I'm an, an expert in sports economics. It, it's just a view I've held. But I think for some of the other stuff, I, I, I think the criticism's been unfair, really. I mean, I think they're working hard. They're trying a lot of things. It, it's been tough for sports, full stop, never mind snooker, post-COVID, Tough for business, full stop, post-COVID. We all know that. Um, and I just think at the moment they're being made a little bit of a scapegoat. Not perfect. Things need to improve. Um, but I definitely don't think they're, they're the black sheep that they're being made out to be. There's a lot of wisdom there, isn't there, Phil? I think we <laughs> couldn't, couldn't say it much fairer than that. Well, maybe I should have a word about Trump and McGill first. It's always a cliche to say it's dangerous to Trump. Maybe a cliche to back McGill, but... I think I might have just about backed McGill. And there are times in the last sort of year, two years, where Job was playing so well that I wouldn't have done that. And I think Trump did beat him last year, actually, in the tournament, didn't he? So that that, that was close, but that obviously is a factor in, in, in Trump's favour. But it reminds me, I think it was around the time I started working for Sporting Life, actually, Richard, when McGill qualified and played Lizowski. Okay, Lesowski is a much more vulnerable character than Trump, but I think we were all almost certain McGill would win. He did 10-9. It's very close, actually. I'm not as sure as that, but I just think he's such a crucible man and, you know, that he really will make life difficult for Judd, who hasn't really shone to his high standards this season. So I think I'm probably going to just about go for McGill there. What do you say, Phil? It's hard, isn't it? Yeah, McGill was the one that almost that they all wanted to avoid. I imagine. I mean, there are other ones, of course, as well. But uh, certainly, no one was sitting their fingers crossed. None of the seeds were crossing their fingers, hoping Fancy McGill to come out that uh, that bag of balls. Um, but Trump is is still a much better player than Anthony McGill on career records so far. McGill it can be brilliant, has been brilliant. Uh, uh, the Crucible, but it's funny one of those things like. McGill, you know, whenever you think of McGill, you think crucible player. Um, but you don't, you don't say Judd Trump crucible player, despite the fact he's won it and been to two finals and a couple of semi-finals, load of quarterfinals. Like he's done way more than McGill at the crucible. But you don't think of him as a as a crucible player just because he's so good everywhere. Uh, whereas McGill's record there is better than it is elsewhere. 
Um, their head-to-heads nine-one in Judd's favour. Um, the only one McGill won was a pretty minor event, um, and Judd knocked McGill out last season's uh, World Championship. Um, so yeah, I mean, as you could tell, probably leading towards Judd, um, he's, he's had a he's had a quiet season. Um, he's been away. Looks like he's been in New York um, by me looking at his Instagram. Um, but he, he must have felt that like that was the right thing to do, just have a little break. Um, of course, McGill can can beat him, um, and I think it'll be close. But um, I'll go with Judd. Another close match. It's definitely the tie of the round, isn't it? I think it's the tie that neither player wanted after last year because Judd would have wanted to avoid that. Um, and Anthony, for all he knows, he'll give Judd a game. Would would <laughs> one of the other seeds? I'm sure. He's Anthony McGill, that semi-final against Kyron Wilson, what was it, 21, was it, 2020, 21? That was just heartbreaking. He should have been in the final that that year against Ronnie. Um, but he backed it up the year late with a quarter-final finish and beat Ronnie that year. And then played well last year against Judd. It was a terrific match, was that. But Judd seems to have this ability now to grind his way to victories, even when he's not playing well. And he hasn't played well. He didn't really play that well at the Masters, did he, until that late spurt against Williams in the final. But it's sort of, Judd wouldn't have done that 10 years ago, but he's doing it now. He's able to grind out results. And and I suspect he'll probably do the same here, but I think it'll be mighty close. I think this... 10-8 either way. I cannot I cannot believe anyone will win this match comfortably. Yeah. I, I was surprised, I mean, though I sort of lent Trump there, I wouldn't be surprised if McGill won. And looking at the betting, McGill 11-5, to 5, I'm sure we'll get an awful lot of custom on that um, at that price. Judd 4-11 to 11 seems very short, despite the fact I just said I think I'll win. That seems, uh, that seems too lopsided on the odds. Yeah, he seems to have lost a little bit of love, Judd, at the moment, just for this tournament when you sort of read other people and, and and look about. No one's really tipping him up like they were a few years ago because his form hasn't been there at all and we've not seen a lot from him. But um, he, he definitely does have that ability to to, to win ugly now, which, which definitely wasn't the case in his younger days. I've not heard his name once, actually, uh, which is making me think... Yeah. It's weirdly making me like his chances more. I think that can't hurt to have almost for a player of his caliber to have zero expectation. It might be a good thing. Um, but yeah, that's going back to the weirdness of backing people who aren't informed stages. But yeah, we're overthinking things probably. We're overcomplicating things. <laughs> yeah. And of course, he was talking about having a break from the game 12 months ago. And then came within a few frames of winning it. He gave Ronnie a half decent game in that final in the end. I mean, Ronnie was a good winner of it, but you know what I mean? I mean, he just, yeah, what he backs up what you say, Richard, he can win ugly. But no, I just, I just think McGill, with the benefit of the qualifiers and having that crucible head, nice gap between the qualifiers and the match might just turn him over. But we'll see. Kyron Wilson, Ryan Day is next, underway next Wednesday morning. Well, Day's ahead in the head to heads in that one. But you never, you never quite know what you're going to get with Ryan Day, do, do you? I know we said that on here enough times uh, over the years we've been doing this. You know, he he can fire. He did so that brilliantly when he won that that tournament, didn't he? The British Open this season. Uh, but he can also flatter to deceive as well. I mean, Kyron, having seen him in the Tour Championship, if he plays anything like that, he'll win this. And uh, I, I do actually fancy Kyron 
to, to, to get through this one, I have to say. What about you, Richard? I'd agree with that. I'm, I'm a massive Ryan Day fan. He's played well all season, actually, and he scored well. I think this will be a high-scoring match. Kyron, as you say, looked brilliant at the Tour Championship, but Kyron looks to be peaking just at the right time. I'm, he'll be really confident in the ball, but he's another with a good Crucible record. I think you'll have too many guns for Ryan here, but I do think Ryan will play his part. I think I think there'll be big breaks. It'll be a good match to watch this because they both look to be playing pretty well from what I've seen of late. Yeah, Ryan Day is just so unpredictable, isn't he? Even, even within a match, just brilliance and then just bad stuff after that. Um, you know, he came through that match against Hugel and said he might retire soon. Um, and then his next match, when they one four six in the opening frame, <laughs> didn't look like he was going to retire anytime soon after that. Um, so you just don't know what you're going to get. Um, but it, he's not been to the Crucible since 2018. And he's not won a match there since 2014, which is quite remarkable, really, for a player of, of his standard. Um, whereas Kyron has certainly slotted into the mould of Crucible player recently. So um, yeah, I agree. There'll be there'll be some great stuff from Ryan in there. Um, but I would I would back Kyron to get to 10 first. If we're struggling to make a case for Jimmy Robertson in his match against Mark Williams, Phil, I think we're really, really struggling to make a case for Matt, Matthew Selk to turn Mark Selby over, aren't we? I mean, I think <laughs> we might come to our tournament winner soon. Um, and, and, and you'll soon see why uh, I think we're all likely to back back Selby on this one. I think it, it, he, he just is in good form, isn't he, frankly, at the moment. And a word, actually, I don't think we said it earlier, did we? I'm not sure we did. I don't think we did. For Peter Lyons, Richard, on the Sporting Life video. And I think you were taken aback a little bit, even though he's an unbelievable player. Absolutely, categorically, Lyons saying Selby is the best snooker player in the world. He's the best player on tour. He says it as clearly as that. And when you've got a genius like Ronnie O'Sullivan around, when you've got John Higgins still around, Neil Robertson, it was a quite a statement. But, you know, <laughs> it's a statement that can be backed up with a lot of brilliance for Selby, eh? Yeah, I was, t- I was taken aback. I, I asked him, I said, that's a ball claim. And he doubled down. He, he turned and looked in my eyes. It was quite a moment, actually. He, his <laughs> argument was... He's not the best at certain things. Ronnie's a better break builder, for example. But he said, of all the components that make up a snooker player, Selby's just better at more things than everyone else. And when you think about it, you can certainly see his argument. I'm not sure I completely agree, but you can definitely see his argument. And we've seen we've seen that from Selby. He's, he's won this tournament four times in the last 10 years. He was desperately close to winning it the year three years ago when Ronnie won it. There's a great semi-final that Selby was a little bit unlucky in it at the death. And this is the tournament. This is the ultimate tournament for players. It's the ultimate test. And, and Selby's the one over the last 10 years who's, who's won it more than anyone else. So when you put it like that, Peters probably makes a fair point. Yeah, I mean, I think he's the player when you talk to other players about sort of what they want to do with their game. Selby's name gets mentioned the most. Uh, they're so jealous of his attitude and his ability to dig in and his B game, C game. And what we sort of found out recently from what he's told us about what he's been going through over the years and how he's triumphed despite that. Um, imagine what he could have done if he hadn't had to deal with the mental health problems he's 
had to deal with. You know, it's it's incredible stuff. Um, and yeah, certainly in this match, um, I mean, I spoke to Matt Sell afterwards, and he's um, he's not had a good record at the Crucible at all. And I said, how is there any reason for that? And he just said, he's very open and honest. He said the um, the occasion gets to him there; it gets too big for him. And that's not anything you could ever say about Mark Selby. I mean, we'd spoken about his, his record in finals, just absolutely unbelievable. Can barely lose as one. Um, so, yeah, there's sort of polar opposites on that front. So certainly in that match, in this match coming, um, we're all, we, uh, I think we're all back in Selby, aren't we? What I would say probably in, in Matt's favour for this one, and I, I, I saw an interview with him, he did say he's definitely coming to the end of his career now and he, he, he doesn't place as much importance on snooker as, as he used to. And I do wonder if if him... And maybe maybe someone like David Grace as well actually might think this is possibly the last chance I'll get at the Crucible. Let's just go out and enjoy it and let my arm go. And we know that they're all very capable players. And for someone like Sell, you might see the best of him because the occasion might not get to him on this occasion because he might think, I'm going to enjoy it because I probably won't get back here. Um, Selby will probably prove too strong, but I do wonder if if that might be the attitude he adopts. I do, I do think I don't, I don't want to be too dismissive about anyone's chances here because to get to the Crucible they're amazing and you know David Grace I think Higgins will win but to win 30 frames in qualifying um, I don't think we mentioned even his second game and when he beat Sam Craig that's an excellent win so I certainly don't mean to be dismissive about anyone's chances but there's two or three players in the in the seeds that yeah uh, they just look, look real strong to me Oh yeah I mean, anyone can beat anyone no, no question about it, and and you know nothing will be seismic, that's for sure. But um, yeah, there, there are t- there are three or four matches where I think you you do strongly fancy the you know the, the better career player, frankly, and th- this is one of those. I actually I just looked up. I thought Matt still had a decent w- recent win at one of the triple crowns. It was Trump, of course. He did beat Trump at the UK. And I remember really being really surprised by that. And I didn't mean that to be in a dismissive way to, to Matt. So he just played so well that day. Job wasn't quite at the races, but again, that's a first to six, wasn't it? And I just feel a first to ten over that long match. You, you fancy Selby's class to tell. And then, well, I saw him tease you, uh, Phil, about it. Sean Murphy said, keeping keeping us all writing and talking. It had to be C. Dry He, didn't it? But um, <laughs> but I have to say, amid all the it had to be, and the fact that obviously Sean was turned over on that occasion. It'll be a big surprise if you turn over here the way he's been playing, surely. <laughs> of course it will. I mean, it was a huge surprise then. Um, I don't know, but maybe it's a similar level of surprise now because Sean's obviously been playing superbly, but C is now back on tour. Got three great wins to qualify. He looks absolutely superb. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it would still be a huge surprise, but uh, maybe no no bigger surprise than it was before. But, yeah, I mean, what a, sto- <laughs> what a story. We were actually talking about that in the press room um, at Judgment Day. How mad that was! I think we said it on here that how big that went. I mean, it was a good story, but to be sort of it was on the front page of a paper. I think it was on the it was the main story on BBC Sport, and uh, it really got out of hand. But uh, good good for us as people who write about snooker. Um, but I, I never quite got my head around why it was so so massive. I think it really tapped into the psyche of sort of people in Britain like hating what comes across as a sore loser. I think that was the main thing. Um, <laughs> Richard, so, um, you're loving that, Richard. 
<laughs> he's, he's right. Phil's right. It was a nothing story. I remember doing it for sporting life and, and you know, I've got to do it, but, but you know, it'll get a bit of traction, but that'll be about it. And then the thing just exploded within about two hours. It was unbelievable. Um, I just, yeah, I, I, sometimes you just wonder what people want, but I, I, I certainly didn't predict that. I, one thing I will say about C is he certainly deserves to be in the room this time, doesn't he? He's, he's, <laughs> him. he's, he's earned his right, though, hasn't he, to get to the Crucible. He's a really talented kid. This I, I've, I've always liked his game. Um, I think he'll show up well. Obviously, Sean, Sean should win. He, he's playing brilliantly. But, but, yeah, he certainly deserves to be there on this occasion. Yeah, but he's had an interesting career, really. He's still only 20. Um, he had two years, um, two years on tour, a year off, won the World Amateur Championship, came back on. It's sort of like the perfect way to do it, in a way. Um, yeah, and he's got a big future ahead of him, but he's playing the form horse here, isn't he? Um, I don't think Sean will let all that stuff, um, you know, get in his head or anything like that. I don't think so. He, he's he's sort of, he's spoken about it openly and said he sort of didn't understand the situation and got it a bit wrong. Um, so it's it's all water enough under the bridge for it not to be a problem now, I think. But certainly, C will give him a good go because coming through three games, I mentioned that win against Ford, um, which takes some doing, and then being Jordan Brown, ten seven was very impressive too. So uh, he ain't going to make it easy for sure. No, he won't. He won't. And it, and that's next Wednesday and Thursday, and Sean will will not be treating him lightly, especially after what happened on that infamous. Uh, a match at the UK Championship, but uh, yeah, just the way Mur- Murphy's been playing, you sort of just think he, he he has to be one of the front runners for this tournament. Really, that's how you have to think of him in terms of you know when you're when you're framing the whole picture of how how it might pan out over the next couple of weeks. Well, we we are there in terms of the matches, and it just leaves us. I think we've already already hinted at our at our tournament favourite. Of course, Richard, you've got a piece about a whole load of. Uh, you know, great advice you got for punters there on Sporting Life. And I think it's fair to say you're going with a Leicester man, aren't you, to to, to claim the, the biggest prize in the game? I think we all are. His, his, his recent record here is just phenomenal. He's been the best Crucible player for the last 10 years. Um, exceptional record here. And and his record when he gets to last stages of any event, really, is, is unbelievable. I mean, his strike rate in finals is phenomenal. Um, you know, I've just said Matt Selk can let his arm go a bit against Selby, but I think Selby would have been happy with that draw. Um, and if he can get through to that second week and the last four or five days, we know how hard he is to beat. So I'm firmly in the Selby camp. I, I think he's had a good season already. He's won two events, but it looks to me like he really is coming to the boil for Sheffield, just as he has so many times before. Yeah, that's where I'm leaning as well. And I'm just trying to decide who we might face in the final. And we've got some mouth-throwing options for a Selby versus someone final. Uh, I mean, so it could be Ronnie, uh, Williams, Trump, Murphy. Yeah, there's some tasty ones there. Even what if Lasowski got there on his first time. Um, yeah, it, any any of those options would be super. But um, yeah, it's, I always find when sort of everyone is coming to the same conclusion... It makes me worried that something's too obvious and it won't happen. Um, and that's what's happening here. But, you know, you've got to stick with your gut. And my mind's saying Mark Selby. Just just quickly, Nick, for TV, Selby, Ronnie, final. I, I know you like your TV numbers. I, I guess you think that would really sell. 
Well, it, it it did in it did in fourteen. It got great numbers. That was one of the the ones in the last sort of fifteen years. It did the particularly well. Yes, it would because it's turning into. I'm not going to say grudge match, but it, it's also not a million miles away from a grudge match. I mean, what happened in twenty, and they haven't been the same since. And that's sport. That's the way it goes. You wouldn't expect them to be the same. But after what happened in that twenty, that got good enough viewing figures. That semi final got. North of two million, back I think towards three million. So yes, that that would be perhaps the most box office final of all. I know because we, I know we had Ronnie and Judd last year, but this in terms of clash of styles, and yeah, that would just be goodness me. I mean, we, get your thesaurus out, Richard. You'll need it for that. <laughs> but, but I want to go Selby, and and listen, his record's great. I've been thinking it all day today. That oh yeah, well, everyone knows he's won it four times, but I think in my head I struggled to sort of. Comprehend always. It's four so recently. Even his first in 14 wasn't a decade ago. I mean, it's just staggering what he's done. As you say, he he should have won that semi against Ronnie, really. I know should's a dramatic word in sport, but he was in charge of that semi for much of it. It was genius and Ronnie to come back and win it at the end, but Selby should have been further ahead, really. Unselby like the way he let Unselby like the way he let that sort of slip away. But listen, that's the way it goes. He come back to win finals. He maybe ought not to have won, like the Higgins won, and even the Ronnie won in fourteen where he came back brilliantly. So that sport, you know, he's he's got probably about the right amount for you know, for everything, his temperament, his qualities, his play. And I said, if he goes to five, well, we're thinking he will. Then heavens above the age he is, you probably think it's odds against him getting up to sort of seven levels, but you you also wouldn't say definitely no, Phil, would you? No, not at all. Is he thirty nine? Um, he, he's in as good a shape as any, um, as long as he can sort of keep his mental health in order as well as he can. It's you know I guess he's just managing that now. It's really difficult, um, but he's clearly shown he can manage it. On the table, um, yeah, and he's got ten years to go. Uh, we all think he, <laughs> we all fancy him to get to number five this year. You know, he could be going seven, eight at some point more. Who knows? But yeah, um, unbelievable record. Uh, you know how 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 many fewer goes has he had at this than John Higgins, who we all consider to be in the top five players of all time, and he's got the same amount. So incredible stuff. It really is, and it and it. Richard, we, we've loved having you for this episode. P- please tell us again in your own words the kind of you know treats we can look forward to on Sporting Life over the coming days and the coming weeks. Well, we've got our roving reporter Chris Hammer will be the, with you at the press day tomorrow. Um, myself and Chris will be, be down on course, if you like, for, for much of the event. Um, we've got Neil Falls will be speaking to us at halfway house, as we call it, halfway through the tournament with his update. Obviously, we'll have daily results and, and match reports, um, all the latest reports and reaction from the tournament. Um, and just from there, just watching the stories unfold, really. Hopefully, we're going to get a big story towards the back end. I think that's what um, everyone really what really wants as well. Obviously, we'll be keeping on top of the betting previews, the daily tips as well, but the big stories at the end of the event, that's when it really comes to life. I mean, I think you did a great piece for us, didn't you, last year, Nick, when, when Ronnie won. Um, it was just a great story to hang the whole thing on, so hopefully we have something similar this time around. And Phil, it's been marvellous, hasn't it? I'm going to use that word, gravitas. It has added that to our podcast hasn't it been partnered with Sporting Life for the key episodes this season it really has been smashing for us so we're so grateful to you Richard, Ben, Chris all your colleagues there 
you know, for, 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 for the brilliant work you do. And, um, you know, let's hope we can do it again in the season to come, Phil. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what a pleasure to have you on, Richard, and to be partnered with Sporting Life. It's a superb publication. You do great work. And we're looking forward to catching up with you at the Crucible and uh, see Chris tomorrow, hopefully. Yeah, so, yeah, plenty more to come, hopefully. You keep that Chris in check, guys. <laughs> All the best to you, Richard. Thank you very much indeed. But I think any other business is just going to be after this marathon episode to say just enjoy the 17 days, isn't it? I mean, it's nothing like it, is there? This is just... You know why we're snooker fans, isn't it? We've got Crucible Eve to come, which is when we're all just in a buzz of excitement. We'll be at the media day. We'll look forward to seeing all the the sort of top players in the world and how they're feeling about it. No doubt a great excitement in the city. You're up there now, and I'm sure the power of ladies are going. We just can't wait for it to get underway Saturday morning. I know we'll be bringing people regular episodes throughout, our live episode in Tudor Square with Brian Wright regular updates throughout the tournament and I can't wait to to see it all unfold I know you'll be the same yeah absolutely yeah what a feast to come um, there'll be endless stories uh, lots of drama uh, and yeah we'll be absolutely shattered in a couple of weeks time but we'll be loving it um, so yeah plenty to come um, there'll be loads of stories keep an eye uh, on our Twitter feeds there'll be plenty to come um, and some interesting things tomorrow as always from the media today as Richard spoke about then, talking to John there and stuff, it's amazing how these guys open up sometimes. Uh, they're an incredibly honest bunch. So, uh, yeah, uh, plenty of stories to come, plenty of snooker to come, plenty to enjoy. Well, all, all being well, we'll be along towards the end of next week, won't we, to update uh, listeners on what's happening in the tournament. And then we'll be along, as we are traditionally now, towards the end of the quarterfinals, beginning of the semi, to look ahead to... The business of the business end, if you like, Phil, the one table <laughs> stage. But uh, for now, I say, I salute you and say, see you tomorrow. Are you putting me up, aren't you, by the way? We should say. Yeah. Yeah. Nick's coming to stay at my place in Sheffield. So we'll uh, we'll post some pictures of our weekend together in Sheffield. I, I like my eggs fried in the morning, please. Right. Okay. Good, good, Noted. Good. Can you imagine if I came with a big laundry list of demands? I'm, I'm tempted to do it for the banter. <laughs> Cheers. It's going to be great. We can't wait. All the best. And I'll see you in Sheffield. That special city will welcome the very best in snooker once again. 17 magical days and nights to come at the Crucible. Do enjoy it all. We'll follow it throughout, of course, here on Talking Snooker. For now, from Richard, Phil and myself, cheerio. Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.